If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be jaw-droppingly twisty, and here's why. In this episode, we find some answers to what's the difference between plot twists and just random nonsense thrown in at the end? <laughs> and how do we avoid making your story twists too obvious? And what are some simple steps to melt players' minds into a gelatinous goo? Welcome to the Hook and Chance Podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. So what in your mind is the mother of all plot twists? Uh, the one that stuck with me the best was the end of Sixth Sense. I mean, I, I think everyone brings that up when they think of plot twists. Right, where the kids got a lot of unwanted dead friends? <laughs> yes, it was actually uh, a heartwarming story of a child who has too many dead friends. No. <laughs> Bruce Willis finds out that he's dead is the real twist. Yes. So what do bad plot twists sound like? Uh, rando ones. Like ones that don't really seem like they were being led up to. It feels like they pull the rug out from underneath you. Yeah, I think the classic version of this was, it was a dream the whole time. <laughs> yeah, that one especially gets me. This is infuriating because like, what if we told you like, oh, Jordan's been dead this whole time. Oh, geez, plot twist. Or Travis is a tiny alien piloting a human body. <laughs> Uh, turns out we're not brothers after all. Ha ha, plot twist. Turns out I'm Travis's grandfather. I'm your grandfather. <laughs> These are all terrible plot twists. These are awful. So what are good plot twists? They're a surprise that changes the final and expected outcome of the plot. That's pretty important. It's really hard for me to understand as a DM where I'm at with my players. Like, I think it's incredibly easy to think, okay, I'm leading up towards this big grand reveal that things aren't quite what they seem. And like, I don't have any problems getting to that point where I say, oh, it's actually this twist. However, the challenge is in making sure that you're leading up to it. So it's not just some weird random thing that happened in the story. Yeah, pretty much. Like if the story can't exist without the twist, then you haven't made a twist. You've just made, like you said, some weird shit that happens in your story <laughs> that nobody could have possibly predicted. And if all you've got is a twist, then you haven't really got a story. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. The two can't quite exist without the other when you're trying to lead into a wicked twist. You really can't just pull them out of thin air. The other challenge that I have with this is that it feels like a dream that is close enough to reach. Like... If I could just learn how to do this well, I might be able to just reach out and touch the untouchable, which is that amazing twist that you've seen like on YouTube videos of some grand reveal where the DM finally lays out all of the machinations that they've been working on in the background and the whole table erupts and goes wild. <laughs> I want that. It seems like the DM must have been planning this for like 15 years. Yeah, like they've been on this track for so long and finally it is paying off and that's an amazing dream but 
like I say, it it feels close enough to touch it, but it's just, I don't know how to get there. Yeah, it seems also at the same time very complicated. And sometimes I'm afraid because when I attempt to use them, they can end up being way too predictable. Like the party figures it out 10 minutes into the session (laughs) and then I'm, well, I guess I'll lead you here, but... Oh, rip. (laughs) On the opposite side of the spectrum, they're way too impossible to predict. And again, that kind of leads to that feeling of having the rug pulled out because there was no way to come to that conclusion on your own. Yeah, it's impossible. Then the other thing that gets me about twists is that when I start to try to plan them, it stresses me the F out. (laughs) You should see him. It's like a nuclear reactor having a slow meltdown. He just starts flop sweating and he he starts scribbling in a notebook. And it's, it's just it's a mess. Because it's just like when I was 10 and I was trying to lie about the fact that I broke the potted plant in the corner of the living room. (laughs) That's just what like a plot twist is like. He cracks under pressure very easily. If you don't keep your lies straight and you plan them poorly, you end up just needing to double down on your lies. You make up more (laughs) lies and twists until you've just got this mess of nonsense that nobody could ever believe and it doesn't make any sense. Jordan is a terrible liar, in case you're wondering. Yeah. Me, on the other hand. (laughs) He lies all day. (laughs) Yeah, twists really do call on you as the DM to be an expert liar. And in this scenario, you're not lying to the characters. You're lying to the players. Yeah. It's not a matter of, of luck of the dice. It's a matter of skill and your ability to keep a poker face. Yeah. So what we need to do is, I mean, clearly the bad liar as Jordan and the good liar, me, both (laughs) need help planning out some of these plot twists. And even though they can be really challenging, they also lead to some awesome unexpected character reactions or even character growth. Man, that's so cool because if you can give that to a character, the opportunity to say, my whole perception of this world has changed. My character is now forced to grow. That's some cool story beats right there. And see how they deal with this stress. And of course, if you do it well, you get the best player reactions you ever get from <laughs> D&D. Yeah, that dream is so satisfying. I want to get there. Yeah. And they also just keep players really interested in a story. Like if you pull off one good plot twist on your party, that means next time they'll be like, whoa, this is interesting because I don't know where this is going for sure. And what a wonderful feeling to have all of your players on a string, just gently tugging them along on the story that you're trying to tell. (laughs) The power, the control. It's amazing. That's why we play this game. To manipulate people. I love it. Yeah. Okay. No, bad, (laughs) bad. All right, so let's talk about actually using them well and the steps to take in the strategy stateroom. Let's do it. This is the strategy stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. Okay, so if we want to arrive at this eventual amazing plot twist, We need to lead the story in one direction. We're kind of telling two stories at the same time. We've got the real story of what happened. And over top of that, we have basically a lie, another narrative that is eventually going to switch to reveal the one that was beneath. And that lie narrative is the one that you need the players to believe the entire time. It needs to be a complete enough story 
that they're not questioning if there's anything deeper. And it has to be so complete that the story still makes sense on its own. So the steps. First, we need to craft a twist. And what's involved in that is we have to figure out what the actual story is, what is the reality, then we go into what is that assumed story. So what is the lie that's over top of the reality? And then what's the motivation to tell the lie in the first place? Then you want to build three anchoring lies that lead the party to believe that assumed story. Then just so we can avoid that pull the rug out feeling, we need to build in three subtle clues that when the twist is revealed, the players can think back to those moments and go, it was in front of us the whole time. It actually does make sense. And finally, you give the big reveal, which comes in two small parts. The subtle reveal to see if they figure it out. And if they don't, the major reveal, which will make that truth obvious. All right, so let's get into more detail in each one of those points. Let's start with crafting a twist. So this consists of two parts. Like we mentioned, an actual story, the reality, and then the assumed story or the lie that goes on top of that reality. And they are completely dependent on one another. You cannot jam a random twist into a story <laughs> you've been telling. Because I mean, imagine if at the end of Sixth Sense, Bruce Willis was a spy. What? Has nothing to do with the story that's being told right now. I guess. So yeah, like the point is, they have to be happening at the same time. They have to be intertwined. And you, Jordan, with all of your wonderful research, have a couple of psychological effects that we're actually utilizing to make sure that this goes off without a hitch. Yes, so lock this into your mind. The first psychological effect is anchoring. So we simple humans have a tendency to lean on the first bit of information we receive about something, assume it's true, and fail to correct it no matter how much new information rolls in. And then there's confirmation bias, which is kind of similar, but it's the tendency to have a belief and then interpret any new information to support that belief, even if it, to the casual observer, would not. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty powerful one because we'll do a lot of things to make new information fit our own internal narrative. Yeah. Once that narrative's been established. So we use anchoring first to really just lock in one piece of information so that all subsequent information just keeps bolstering that lie. Yeah. So if you can nail that first lie, then you're pretty much sailing. <laughs> if we can introduce a logical story and really make it concrete from the start, the players are going to buy into that right away and be far less suspicious going along. And I think it's really important to compare that with a mystery story and where that differs. In a mystery, you are introducing the story as having missing information and encouraging players to find it. So there's all of these little tidbits that we definitely want to leave for them and continually reveal more and more of the story as we're going through. You're saying the truth is out there as a DM. Exactly. Whereas in this, we're saying this is the truth from the very beginning. Yeah, again lying unashamedly <laughs> to your party. Okay, stop looking at me so intently every time you say lie. So Jordan and I have a few examples for you that we're going to go through. And each one of us has prepared every step along the way to building our wonderful mystery. Jordan, you're doing kind of more of a, a concise, maybe one or two session story arc. 
Yeah, about as small as you can get while still having a legitimate plot twist involved. And I'm going to go a little bit bigger, probably anywhere between a four and an eight session kind of story arc. All right. And so the steps involved here, again, we're going to cover that actual story. So what is the real story? The assumed story, which again is the lie that you're placing on top. And it's the story that you want the players to believe. And the motivation, which has to be logical. This is super important. Don't skip this and save it for later because it all kind of rests on how believable the motivation is. Yeah. And really, it's going to feel cheap if the motivation isn't there. And that's why that piece is so, so important. This is another one that leads to, well, you just threw some rando ass twist in there. This has (laughs) nothing to do with anything. Yeah. Why was the mayor trying to burn down the town? Just because he's a pyro? Season two finale of Fargo, I'm looking at your direction. (laughs) And something that we kind of found out about plot twists and looking at a whole bunch of different ones is that so many of them boil down to someone or something's identity not being what you thought it was. And so a great place I find to start is with one of these simple twisted identities. So you've got stuff like the ally is actually an enemy. That's a classic. I mean hey, this person betrayed us. This one's used so commonly in good stories. Like somebody's your friend and at the end, whoopsie, they're a bad guy. (laughs) Like it was just a mistake. (laughs) It was an accident. I mean, it could be. Another one is the enemy is an ally. You know, like when you get to the end and you're like, oh, wow, we have the same goals. Yeah, you're about to stab him through the belly button. (laughs) And you find out that that's my weak spot. (laughs) You've got two people are actually one. This is when you've got two important figures in the story. And at the end, you find out they're actually the same person. Wow. I can think of one particular film featuring the lovely Bradley Pitt and Mr. Edward Norton. Yeah. That comes to mind. You've got the enemy is the only one that can be an ally. You're on your way to the big bad. And you finally get that or learn that there's a bigger big bad. (laughs) And you need the big bad to kill the bigger big bad. (laughs) I'm lost. Uh, The villain is just a minion for a bigger villain? Yeah. Used so much in TV shows, I think, because they need to, you know, keep upping the stakes. In the first episode, when they're setting up the world. Yeah. And then they're like, ha ha, we've concluded this story. But oh, wait, there's a bigger story underneath. You've got the enemies are all an illusion. (laughs) And no, this isn't the same as a dream. We covered that. This is where all of the enemies are disguised as an illusion of some sort. They're actually innocent. Mm, Yeah. You've been beaten up. You've been beaten up doctors instead of thugs. Stop doing drugs. Yeah. The enemy never died. Oh, darn. You know, you see them plummet into the thing and then they show up and it's like, whoa. Holy (laughs) shit. Where'd this person come from? And be very careful to not do this one cheaply, because <laughs> this is the cheapest thing you can do. Look, they're back, because I ran out of bad guys, and I just wanted to... <laughs> Another great one is, uh, we're not where we thought. The whole place that we've been, this this world that we've been inhabiting, is actually a construct, or a, a simulation, or all kinds of different fun things. Yeah. All right. Well, there's plenty of those. Hopefully those spur your thoughts a little bit. But now let's get into our examples. Yeah. So you started with something fairly simple. So yeah, take us through it. 
Yes, my goal was to be as simple as possible. So the mistaken identity in this case is that the enemy is just a minion. We'll go with that classic one. The actual story is that a traveling man is releasing monsters nearby small towns when he passes through them. Okay, so what's the lie that's on top of that? That there's a random monster nearby the small town that the adventurers are in that happens to be terrorizing the town. So it starts off pretty simple as a basic monster hunt. Exactly. The town needs you to go and slay a monster. It's the first adventure of D&D. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so why would this traveling merchant do this? Well, I went with revenge. He's been trying to sell his bad paintings of monsters to these towns for years. <laughs> so they're just like <laughs> shitty paintings and he's feeling jilted Yeah, that they don't buy his terrible paintings. Yeah, and some okay. people are rude to him sometimes. <laughs> so petty. <laughs> yeah, it's, All right. it's not the biggest idea in the world, but <laughs> what do you got? Well, I'm going to go a little bit elaborate for this one, so hold on. So the actual story. A king has recognized that they have become an unloved tyrant. Always a bummer. Not having long to live and wanting to pave an easier path for their daughter and heir, they seek to weave a new narrative to their death by being murdered and martyred. Oh. It's kind of like one of those late-in-life revelations, like, ah, oh, I've done everything terribly. In doing so, they hope to make the transition less about an heiress being given the throne through succession of a family line, and more about a party of heroes committing regicide at the behest of a strong queen who will not stand for her father's bullshit anymore. They want to go down and bang, and not just go to that slow decline of his own authority. Well, yeah, I mean, she'll have such a better chance at winning the trust of the people if she has a basically a platform to say, hey, I'm not going to make the same mistakes again. So to achieve this, the king will hire some outsiders, a party of adventurers that they have recently been made aware of. Cool. So what's the lie that's layered on top? So the lie is, this king has hired a talented actor to play the role of a king who's been imprisoned since the beginning of the decline of their reign. So the idea here is that this actor is going to fool the adventurers into thinking that they've been in prison and that the tyrant that sits on the throne currently is really just an imposter. Interesting pitch. Yep. So they're going to be hired to murder the king by the twist actual king. Oh, dang. Get that creep off the throne. Oh, right. That's the lie. Yes. You had me for a second. Ah, see? I already got you. <laughs> All right. So the next step is to build three anchoring lies. So these are lies that tell your assumed story. And remember, we want to make sure that the first one is pretty darn rock solid so that it's one that the party can build that confirmation bias for every subsequent clue that follows. And with these, you do have to be careful never to negate the actual story. So just keep in mind the truth that you're hiding. And again, just to clarify this, don't do any smirks or mystery eyes. You're trying to trick your players. And the reason that it's kind of crucial to plan these out ahead of time rather than just come up with them on the fly is number one, they've got to be believable lies. And number two, planning out at least these few beats just allows you more mental space in game for the fun stuff. Yeah. So what are your lies? My anchoring lie is that the mayor 
invites the party to a meeting. Okay. The mayor has an expert researcher on the team that has extensive knowledge of the monster. All the focus is on the fact that we've got ourselves a nasty monster that's been attacking the town. Okay. That's just so straightforward. Yeah. There's no suspicion there. Yeah. My second lie, that a monster expert says that these monsters regularly pop up in town. Yeah, because it's the truth, yeah. right? They get released all the time by this <laughs> angry artist. <laughs> and the third is that a town up north had the same problem. Somebody killed that monster and it was over. Okay. Is that just another town that this artist is pissed off at? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. He's all over these countrysides releasing little monsters on people that don't buy his garbage art. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, mine is... The actor that has been hired to portray the king to the party to really convince them that they have to go and basically murder a king is going to have been freshly released or escaped from prison. And the only thing that he has from his time as king is a signet ring that he has had smuggled. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> smuggled. Stop. Smuggled. There. <laughs> Very good. Uh, the second lie is that obviously because he was given all this information by the king, because this is a part of his plan, he's going to have detailed information on secret passages that lead into the castle to give the party. Only the king would know that. Obviously. The third lie is an NPC is going to describe a drastic shift in the king. So as the party is traveling through towns, I'm just going to have a random NPC crop up a conversation about the kingliness of the local king. I mean, the party was probably asking somebody about the king throughout their journey. Most likely, yeah. And they're going to describe a drastic shift in that king in the last five years, which is also semi-true. The king has just kind of become shitty over time, the real king. Yeah. And this would explain it. Obviously, this guy's been in prison for the last... Five years. Weird. <laughs> Perfect. And then just to really sell it, I've got my lie number four, which I'm really excited about, and you'll find out why, is I'm going to have another just random NPC who they cross paths with. A spice seller. Sure. On the way to the kingdom to murder this horrible despot, stop and recognize the person that is traveling with them. Mm. Hey, don't I know you from somewhere? So the party thinks that it's because they're recognizing the king and probably help the guy get away. Exactly. Okay, so the next step is building subtle clues. So these are the clues that have to seem insignificant at the time. Keep in mind, this again is not like a mystery. These are not clues that we want to be pieced together. These are clues that when in retrospect, our players are going to go, oh man, I should have seen that. Yeah. And when you're delivering them, remember how crafty players can be because you don't want to just like drop one at a time and then leave a pause for them to figure it out. It's ideal to try and blend them into like a part of a world building description. Yeah. Something like that. Don't even let them be acknowledged that they're just, they're just there. Yeah. Have three or four other little details around them and definitely don't raise that eyebrow. <laughs> Keep it down. <laughs> Keep the game face on. Okay. So what are your clues? My first clue is that there's a painting of a monster in the local tavern that's being used as a dartboard. It's a bad painting. Okay. Yeah. Upon first inspection, 
It's just a shitty painting. Yeah. And clearly, these bar patrons have no respect for it. And if anyone does ask about it, they can tell the party that, yeah. They bought it off a shitty traveling (laughs) salesman. What a joker. (laughs) Ha ha ha. The second is that somebody mentions it seems like these monsters just show up overnight sometimes. They come out of the blue like I was just hunting that area yesterday and then the next day there's a monster. It was attacking livestock, but they never get this far into town. Yeah. And then the third is that maybe that monster expert or somebody else can come up and say, this isn't even their natural habitat. I don't know why these things crop up every three months. Jeez, that's good. I like it. And give me your clues for the Kingslayers. Okay. So clue number one, whenever pressed for details that the actor wouldn't really know as King, they kind of get this like far off and distant kind of fuzzy look where they're like, oh, I was in that prison for so long. That's good because you can even play it up as you, the DM, trying to just not like, I don't know everything, guys. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Stop asking me dumb (laughs) questions. What does this have to do with the story? Ah, I forget. Yeah. My second clue is that this king, he's going to be talking about his favorite plays all the time because he's actually an actor. Yeah. And so he's just got this enthusiasm for plays and he's going to talk about, oh, now that I'm out, I'm going to go see more plays. I really, this is my favorite one and this is my favorite one. (laughs) Can't help but talk about a little thespian action. Yeah. And then finally, and this is why I really liked my fourth lie, is that it also works as my clue three, is that that familiar comment, you seem really familiar to me. Yeah. It's because the NPC that thinks that they're familiar has seen them in plays. They're an actor. Yeah, perfect. But maybe they won't be able to place them as the king. So hopefully with all three of those, once our players get the big reveal, they'll be shocked and amazed and have never seen that coming. And look back on those clues and say, oh, you got me. So that brings us to the big reveal. Now we need to really pay this off. And the key point here is that you need to have the players come to this revelation, which can be a little tricky to pull off because at no point should you, the DM, say, come on, you guys, this is what's going on. Or ever have to really spell it out yourself. What we really want to try to achieve here is having at least half the table get that look of enlightenment on their faces. And once that happens, they'll explain it to everyone else at the table, but you just need one or two to figure it out. Exactly. So it comes in two parts. The first is the subtle reveal. So you just want to give them something that points to the truth in a more obvious way than you've been with the clues so far. And then if that doesn't stick, if nobody has that look on their face yet, then you hit them with the major reveal. So this is something that just makes the truth that much more obvious. And if they figure it out on the subtle reveal, you can still give the major reveal just for them to be like, yep, knew it. Yeah, you definitely want to stick that landing because this is what it's all about. And I think the best way you can put this into a game is as a cliffhanger for a session. So we talked about this last week, but... This has got all of the benefits of a cliffhanger. It makes the players anxious to play again to resolve this crazy thing. It lets the players absorb the twist before they respond to it. Because you don't want them to just be too stunned to actually engage right now in the moment. If you give them that time, they can really do something with the twist. Yeah, you know it. All right. So, my big monstery reveal. (laughs) 
The party finds the monster in its newly found cave. Sure. It's settled in. Yeah. They stab all of its belly buttons. <laughs> so many belly button stabs. <laughs> this is a belly button monster. And when they kill it, they realize, oh, this thing has actually been branded. The, oh, no. The brand has been burned over, but that's really weird for a random monster. Yeah. Like a farmed basilisk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to meet the badass that farms basilisks. Well, I mean, this guy's got to be getting them from somewhere. <laughs> So if they don't figure it out from that, and the major reveal will be when the monster expert has had a chance to take a look at that body, or if the players are really thorough, then, you know, in the monster's nest or in its stomach, you can find a journal page that this thing ate without the guy knowing that details out why he hates the people of all these towns so much that they're okay with whoever gets killed by these monsters because these these rude butts deserve it. (laughs) So you're telling me that this salesman was really just trying to raise awareness with his shitty paintings? <laughs> he was just trying to sell art, man. <laughs> well, that's pretty good. I like that. I love the the journal reveal. Like, that feels really good to have the players, and even to hand that over to the players. You find this in yeah. its stomach. It's kind of like that example that breaks the rule, the one that's allowed to. In that, it's sure, it's the DM literally handing the answer to the players, <laughs> but simply the fact that they get to read it and come to the realization on their own and still have that light bulb go off. That's really what we're trying to do is just have them have the realization. Yeah. And lead me to the big moment of your story. Well, because this king, who has apparently been in prison for five years, is trying to have the party go in and remove this tyrant that's in his place, I'm kind of assuming, and granted I'm going out on a limb and doing this, assuming that the players are going to ask the question, well, why is your family still living with him then? Yeah. At which point he'll, well, at which point he doesn't know. I mean, maybe he's threatening them. Maybe he's got dirt on them. Whatever the case may be, the man that is sitting currently on the throne is still an imposter and he, he must be removed. Yeah. So this leads to my subtle reveal, which is that when the party actually does something, whether they murder or, or tie up or arrest the king that is currently sitting on the throne, that the family is really and truly upset. The daughter is just like uncontrollably sobbing over the loss of her father. That's assuming that the players do what players do, which is murder everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or I mean, even even hogtied. That'd be pretty yeah. <laughs> distressing. <laughs> what are you doing to my dad? <laughs> yeah, so that's my, that's my subtle reveal. The major reveal will show up later when the party decides what they want to do, whether they take a aggressive action and actually murder the king, or if they take a more subtle approach or diplomatic approach, whatever the case may be, the daughter of the king is going to find the letter that he would have left her explaining his plan. She wouldn't be able to go ahead without really understanding what all of this chaos was all about. So the king would have had to leave some kind of note describing what he had intended for his daughter, the kind of legacy that he hoped to repair with her becoming queen, and then, of course, to let the party go. (laughs) That's going to be an awkward conversation, depending on how this shook out, as well as pay the actor 
with lands and, say, title because of the deal that he had struck with this actor, releasing him of any wrongdoing. So when the party gets a chance to read this entire document, if somebody in the room still doesn't understand what happened there, well, then I've got bigger problems. Okay, so to recap, in the crafting of a twist, you need to answer what's the actual story, what's the assumed story, and what's the motivation. And then follow that by building three anchoring lies and three subtle clues to lead you all to the big reveal. (laughs) I appreciate your showmanship. Thanks. All right, then, moving on. This is the Temple of Inspired Hands, where amazing products and revolutionary ideas are brought to light. So in this Temple of Inspired Hands, I just want to talk about a couple of projects that are just really cool. <laughs> That's it. Sorry. <laughs> no deeper meaning here. <laughs> They're tabletop games, so cool your jets. It's not like I'm just going to be talking about my new pair of shoes or my <laughs> sweet thrift store shirt. Check out my new Reeboks. <laughs> it's related. So the first one that I discovered recently is a tabletop role-playing game called Ross Rifles. And it's themed around World War One. And what I think is pretty cool about this game and what makes it so different is its realistic tone. So it's set in the Canadian trenches of World War One. Wow. And it's meant to portray the horrors of trench warfare. Ooh. I, I would imagine that this would be a pretty ruthless game in terms of like survivability. I would think so. And I think it's also based around the emotional side of things too, because this is straight from them, but it's focused on emotional, personal storytelling in a horrific historical setting. Ross Rifles is also an educational tool intended to immerse players within the world of the Great War and bring the experience of the Canadian expeditionary force to life in the players' minds. And it's just something that I don't see very often from role-playing games. Like, I'm all about that weird stuff, right? (laughs) Yes, 100%. (laughs) And I just think that this would be a very different experience that I'd be pretty into. Well, it would be very interesting in the attempt of trying to play a more grounded character. I mean, we're all used to playing... D&D and making these ridiculous people <laughs> but from the sounds of it like creating somebody with with a real character depth and playing it like a, a person like a normal person <laughs> what a novel concept that would be <laughs> and to take that a little bit deeper like you said we're not building classes around crazy magics and super strength so the classes in this game are the sergeant the scarred the scout scrounger creative, replacement, and medic. Wow. So it's a lot less like, here's your (laughs) weapon. Yeah. This goes with your class. It's like, these are the people that exist on the battlefield. Wow. That's a, I mean, it feels like a real thespian challenge, to be honest. Trying to play that character and has a lot more gravity. And it feels like if you tried this out a bit, there definitely might be some things to bring back to the other characters that you play. Not that you have to like make them all super serious, but. (laughs) And one of the most amazing things about this game is that they really cared about getting it right. So the writers consulted with veterans, historians, anthropologists, and museums when they were creating this game. Wow. They did not cut any corners. 
That's fantastic. Man, I really want to play this now. There you go. Oh, yeah. And just to let you know, it uses the Powered by the Apocalypse system, builds off of that. And if you are more into the mechanic side of things and you want to know how that works, it's structured around gaining ground. That's one of the major mechanics in the game. So that's your objective. And and as they say, again, the game effectively bridges the gap between highly structured combat-oriented RPGs such as D&D and the reflexive, narrative-focused simplicity of Powered by the Apocalypse. Very cool. Yeah. And it was created by Dundas West Games. The co-writers were Daniel Kwan and Patrick Keenan. So if we were to play a game this week of this, you ready to go? Absolutely. It's pretty easy to get started. The playbook and handouts are free to download, and we'll give a link for that. Very cool. And then, if that is a little bit difficult to get through a couple of sessions of that, because you do have to... Think about some serious things. <laughs> yeah, if you're into the more lighthearted and that's uh, a little too uh, deep and heavy. <laughs> then we jump to the opposite end of that spectrum <laughs> with a mini campaign setting called Nazi Dracula Must Die. <laughs> I'm sold already. Yeah. I love it. Do it. Absolutely. So this one is an alternate reality World War II D&D 5E setting with weird science and strange magic. I'm really excited to see how this plays out because this isn't quite on Kickstarter. It's like coming to Kickstarter very soon. Yeah. And I'm really excited to see how this plays out because I've always really struggled with trying to bring modern things into 5e. It's just there's lots of other systems out there that do modern much better. And that's why I'm kind of curious about, honestly, both. Because that can be sometimes hit or miss. But I'm really excited for this campaign setting just for the outlandish theme. Yeah, I I totally get what you're saying. And I think that I'd be more concerned with that balance of the modernness to it if it were a more serious setting like Ross Rifles. But since it's just off the wall, <laughs> I guess I'll just see what kind of fun they come up with. And uh, hopefully it's good. Well, I I love alternative history. Yeah. And when you've got Dracula allying with the Nazis in World War II, it just, that is so good. Yeah. So why not have a little fun with that? And one of the other huge reasons to support this game is it supports fair pay in TTRPG writing. The writers were paid 20 cents a word for this project. Well, and this is a really important conversation happening in the space right now around fair pay for writing because for i mean for new writers typically they're getting paid less than 10 cents per word and that doesn't quite translate if you don't have a lot of background in this (laughs) yeah i don't really know what that means as a writer and to be fair we don't either because we don't do a lot of freelance writing yeah however sub 10 cents per word is going to be really difficult to ever make a career out of this. And in order for people to make careers and get really good and be supported by their craft, they really do need to get paid uh, a bit more. And so it's really cool to see projects like this doing that. So hats off, Nazi Dracula (laughs) creators, not Nazi Dracula himself. (laughs) Yes, not pro-Nazi Dracula (laughs) pro-Nazi Dracula creators, which still, I mean, out of context, sounds like you're supporting the creator of Nazi Dracula, whoever made 
<laughs> the Nazi a vampire or the vampire a Nazi. Yeah, vampire science. Who knows how it all started? <laughs> Such a weird world. <laughs> and the creators were Crystal Quill Press. So thanks for putting that into the world. Yeah, we'll be looking forward to the Kickstarter. Of course, you can find a link to the Kickstarter in the show notes as well. And I think that's all the D&D talking we have to do for you today. So thank you for Tabletop Audio for the sound effects you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. You can tell us about your plot twists or talk about Nazi Dracula on our Discord, which is full of players and DMs. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. And And this was all a dream. (laughs) It's my nightmare. Wake up now. (laughs) 